for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Tags are already being filled in Cali with the Thule elk being chased. And y'all, it's about to happen all over the West. Elk season, baby. Heck yeah. But hold on here. Wait a daggum second. Are you counting the days or are you making the days count? Is there a possibility there's a hole in your game that could affect your chances at success? How would you even know if you did have a hole in your game? Well, y'all, today we're going to the Elk Bros Adventure Success Squad. And you're about to step into the Squad Zone. That discussion, your Elk Bros shout-outs, and questions from our awesome Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting Coach Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk? They live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And as always, for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, Welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas, the host of your show, coming to you from Spring, Texas. And that's right, from Burnett, Texas, one of your Elk Bros, Elk Hunting coaches, the Flatlander himself. We got Mr. Cole Wilkes in the house. And from Cuesta, New Mexico, that's right, the legend, Mr. R.C. Knox is teed up and in the house. And from Newcastle, Colorado, that's right, the smoothest mic on the block, the man that owns the Western Contours podcast, 
Guy Duplanchet himself, the newest of our elk bros, elk hunting coaches, is in the house. And from Grand Prairie, Canada, the man behind the grinder call, Mr. Travis O'Shea is in the house. And from Cimarron, New Mexico, what would Joe Gillia do is in the house. Joe Gillia is ready, got us teed up and ready to go, boys. Elk bros are here and ready to go. What's up, fellas? What's up, Gil? What's up? How we doing, James? How Look, you doing? We have us a dynamite crew in here tonight. And, uh, uh, you know, first thing I want to do, because we're going to get rolling at this party, because, man, I tell you what, this could be a tour, man. <laughs> this could be a part tour, the way this is going to go. But, but I'm hoping we get through a lot of this tonight because, I mean, we're getting close. We're, you know, shoot, guy, I was just listening to you and Jermaine. You know, and, uh, you know, talking about how close it is. And I mean, we're really close. And so by the time this rocks and you look oh, at another one two weeks later, it, it would really be out there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so one thing I want to do right away is, is I want to talk about, you know, we talked about the Elk Bros Adventure Success Squad. And I want to, I want people to see this because this is a proud moment for me. And, you know, what we have is Elk Bros Adventures is what we started, um, and it all really all this stemmed from Hunt Wars, from me doing coaching with Hunt Wars with Cole and Eric going into camp with Hunt Wars, being actual coaches in camp, helping hunters out during their elk hunt. And now, you know, we again, Cole, Eric are going to be at um, uh, at Hunt Wars. Um, going to be a little bit different format, but our coaches are lit. I mean, these guys are just awesome, and they have been with me on calls with the Hunt Wars crew th- that's been going on each week. And not only the not only the Zoom calls where we are doing the coaching, but Cole, you're getting all kinds of videos and phone calls and texts all the time from these guys, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. We've been going back and forth with Cal call and, and, you know, reads and getting everything, you know, placed right and getting these guys really tuned in. And man, just in the past week, I've seen a huge difference in, in calls being made. Absolutely, so, man. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's way cool. I'm having a lot of fun with that. But what's so, it, what's really neat is out of that spawned Elk Bros Adventures, this year we have a giveaway winner that, um, uh, Cody Kirkpatrick that's going to be hunting with the Elk Bros at the beginning of September. And in that, you know, he and we also have Another hunt that we sold that is basically a Elk Bros Adventure coached hunt where we had four guys that ended up purchasing that hunt. So they are going to be hunting um, in late September, and every one of those hunters will have an Elk Bros coach with them in camp that's going to be coaching them just like what's happening in with Hunt Wars. But here's the cool thing. Just like with Hunt Wars, every one of our hunters – all of our hunters, you know, Cody, Tom, Mike, Adam, uh, Tom, right? Uh, did I get everybody? Yeah. yeah. Larry. Uh, Larry Gill, right. Um, Gill. all of these guys have been, before they get boots on the ground, before they ever get there, these guys are being, they are being coached in a different way than we do with Hunt Wars. They are being hit by our, 
Elk Bros Success Squad. And what that means is, you know, you have Guy Duplanche up here that is on calls, on Zoom meetings with these guys, and he's going over um, gear, and he's going over shooting with them. So he's handling that realm right there. Um, now, we got two of our coaches aren't here tonight, Luis Gonzalez and Leroy Chavez, but uh, Luis got held up at the border. Chav's under the weather, but Luis has been getting with everybody on their setup, you know, making sure that their bow and that their arrows, everything is right and, and right as rain, ready to be there. Um, and I saw me with some right? arrows that. Some arrows yep. that uh, Luis made. So Absolutely. And cool. Ch- Chav has been with people on fitness, preparing them there. And he's doing some things with these guys that they've never done before, never even yeah. thought of doing there. Um, you know, we've got um, uh, we got Gilbert and RC that is meeting with them and going over possible failure points, trying to eliminate those things that they might not think about that come from our years of experience that could get in the way at the wrong time and affect their success. And then we have Travis O'Shea up here that uh, is a world-class caller, and Travis is working with them on calling as well as with myself, and I'm doing setups and some calling. So what these guys are getting is this is like different guys. It's like a coaching squad that is pulling them in and coaching each one of these areas um, so that by the time they get to elk camp, Oh my goodness, you know, and I, I talked to some of these guys and they're, and I'm like, okay, so here was my question. Are you guys feeling overwhelmed at all? And, and I was waiting for something to come back like, you know, dude, it's an awful lot, you know, but they're like, heck no, man. When's the they next can't get one? Enough. Yeah, they're, yeah. They, they can't get enough. You know, they, you know the, I'm sorry, man. One of the, one of the nicest things about it to me, right? is that the specificity and the granularity that you can get into with this being, you know, it's, I don't do them one-on-one unless somebody needs to, Um, but man, just, just being able to tackle that question and then have all the other guys hearing that question, you see the lights come on man, that's a good question. Mm -hmm. So they're getting, they're getting each other's experience as well as the coaching staff's experience. And you can, you can get so granular with it, man. It, it has been, yeah. it has been phenomenal for me to, yeah. to be a part of and, and sit down with those guys every week and field the calls and emails and whatnot. It's, it's pretty, uh, it's a well, pretty good experience all the it, way around. I think it's, it's like you said, it's real, real granular. And, and what I do is I have people following their passions. You know, RC and, and Gil, man, just, you know, with what they have known, and you got two ends of the spectrum here with RC's experience and then with Gil's experience, you know, that, you know, Gil's been at it now. Gosh, Gil, this is what, 12, 13? 13th year. 13th, 13th year, yeah. you know, and so he brings, even though he's not a new elk hunter, he brings a lot of that stuff that he learned that still stays with him, right? And, I mean, that's their passion. And then you got you got Luis, who, man, this guy is just nuts over doing, you know, he is such a uh, an engineer about everything that he does. He's just so anal. So he's just really enjoying that bow setup part there. And, and Chab, what can I tell you, I mean, this guy's got, you know, 
30 some years of coaching and, and working with athletes. And Chav, you know, Chav's 70 years old. So he has been from the collegiate athlete, uh, you know, the high school athlete all the way to where he is right now. So he knows all parts of the spectrum to be able to deal with people. And I mean, who loves calling more than Travis? I mean, this guy, man, just, <laughs> this guy's always, I mean, all these guys always texting me all the time. I, I was just on with, uh, with Guy earlier, you know, Gil's hey, getting on there. Cole's. Yeah, look, on. I've never, I've never took a <laughs> calling lesson. Right. I've never had other than me and Joe, Joe going, Oh shit, don't do that. Right. Or him <laughs> oh. going, yeah, more of that. I've never had that, but I had, we had Travis O'Shea on with us and just a few little minor things that he showed us last night and, and ramping things up, just doing a little siren with your man. It took my bugle from one level to way even better. Right. So, I mean, there's so much more to learn and, uh, you know, look, I'm not a world champion elk caller, but at the end of the day, when I get in the woods, I can make them react and do the things I want them to do. So, but I can always get better, right? Absolutely. And, uh, for me having a guy like Travis and Joe there that are just unbelievable elk callers and in their, you know, that's what their passion is and mine too. I really enjoy calling bulls yep. in and, and then my passion's closing the deal, man. When you get them in, it's shutting the door, right? And uh, that's probably the hardest thing in the world to do is actually close the deal. You know, when you get them in there and send it and finish, you know, um, a lot of us can get them reacting and stuff like that. But can you get them inside the bubble? Can you get inside that kill zone? And then when he's inside that kill zone, can you finish? Can you finish? And so for I mean, me, you yeah. know, RC been really working on the finish <laughs> and working on the failure points to get to the finish. Because I, I, I think can... that's a big, big failure point for everybody. And I yeah. can tell you, man, I mean, as, as skilled as Travis is, man, I mean, he is always searching and bettering and, you know, uh, and that's what I love, man, is, is if the moment any of us stop learning, you know, we might as well get mm-hmm. out because we're not helpful to anybody else. And, mm-hmm. and let me tell y'all, man, elk hunting, all you listeners out there, elk hunting is a constant learning moment. Constant yeah. learning. Yeah, moment. they're animals. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're critters, man. They do what animals do, not what humans do. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it's like Gilbert said, to me, there's two parts to it. There's the, the setup at the end, like Gilbert's talking to getting them in. What do you do to get them in? But the f- very first part of that, when you first hear that bugle, it's like, yeah, guys go saying? into panic mode. They're like, Oh, <laughs> well, well, what do we do? Like, do we, we land or that. do we go or, <laughs> right? So it's, and everything in between all that. And, or, and they look, that they, or they look at their bus, buddy right? and they go, uh, what was that noise? On the other side of that, though, that is, that is that the way. emotion. Say right? that again, guys. Uh, it, yeah. On the other side of, of just hearing that is we get involved in our emotion. Right. We yeah, get ramped yeah. up. We, our, our test mm. starts flowing. I've been there, done that, man. And I love oh, it. Yeah. You want to get oh, into yeah. a chuckle fest and then you lose sight of, of what the, the end result is supposed to yeah. be. And it's too late, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's no, it, blown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, so that's really cool hurt. is the last few years is us understanding what elk are saying, right? Not just, okay, well, that's a, Roundup bugle or that, that sounded like a, uh, location bugle. But three or four years ago, I wouldn't have known the, 
I might have known the difference between a location bugle, but I really didn't know what they were all saying. I didn't know that chuckles were really invitations and those kinds of things like that. When you understand and you listen to that bugle and you hear, like guys talking about, you hear the emotion just in the elk's voice, and then you inflect your own emotion in it, it changes the game by being able to understand yeah. what those bulls were saying. I mean, RC, last year we were setting up on bulls and listening to them, and I'd be like, oh, man, that bull's got cows. He made a roundup bugle, and he's moving away from us. And RC's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, that's what that is. You know what I mean? <laughs> RC been hunting elk, forgot more about elk hunting than I'll ever know, right? But at the end of the day, understanding what they're saying when they're saying it is – Huge manage for us as most so, callers and coaches. So what I want to do is I want to make sure everybody listening, I want you to understand that our goal tonight is what we're going to do is we're going to use our hunters that we are currently coaching as an example. We're going to pull from that of the things that most of you guys, because these are the same guys just like you, and we've got all different gamuts of ages, experience, and stuff like that with these groups of guys. And so they are most likely struggling with the things, the same things that you are probably struggling with or are going to struggle with once you hit the woods because you're not, you, you don't even know yet that that's something you could struggle with. You know, um, there are, there are failure points. There are things that are going to happen that we want to give you a heads up. So we're going to use some of those things that we're pulling out, like some of these main things. It's going to be about learning moments as we take the most glaring issues that we see in each of our coaching focus areas that we do, and we're going to give you tips on how to overcome them. So that's going to be the show tonight, man. That's where we're going to rock and roll. I can already tell that it's going to come up in the conversation later. Uh, But what I was going to jump in there and say was um, a lot of times guys just rather than like they don't exercise patience, right? They, they get into a huge upset, like hurry. And, and that's where I think Mm -hmm. they fail right off the bat rather than just, Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. We've got something to work with down here Mm -hmm. and assessing the whole situation, like the entire situation. Do we go now or do we wait until the third, you know, we're going to get into all that, I'm sure. Absolutely. But, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Exercise those patients. And, and yeah. we're going to tell everybody, we really want to try to, I mean, we really want to try to do as much as we can in this tonight. If we have to do a part two that, I don't know, maybe it doesn't help you this year, maybe it helps you next year because people listen to these podcasts all the time. Um, I just really want to take the expertise of all these guys and what they've been doing with all of these um, uh athletes, hunters of ours, and and really help you guys out with what we're seeing. So here we go, man. Sounds good, Joe. Well, let's get this party started and head over to our Elk Bros mailbox, brother. All right. Tony's uh, pondering is I live in Idaho and I'm able to hunt in areas with lots of elk and have lots of potential opportunities each season. Three of us take the same time each year to hunt together for the September bow season. I've been designated caller because the other two have not built the confidence up to do it yet. Uh, I'm okay with this for now because they both, uh, both been working on calling and are quickly gaining confidence and getting better doing it. My question is when hunting with partners, in my case, it's two other guys. It puts me in back caller's position with two shooters in front. How would you organize your setups for best potential opportunities with two shooters involved? What do you do to keep everyone on the same page to do their part and be selfless? Uh, keep from competing for opportunities. Good luck. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't in there. That was me. <laughs> what methods do you use to communicate from shooter to shooter and also shooter to caller, hand signals, call sounds, etc.? Over the past three years, all three of us has put in the time and effort to be successful. I've killed multiple elk now, and the other two have not put one on the ground. I feel that we have earned the reward of success at this point, but I have noticed when calling for others who both want the moment of success that it can turn uh, competitive between the two of them, and uh, this has cost us multiple chances of putting one on the ground. All of us are willing to powwow and come to an agreement on what to do to be successful and take the necessary steps to make it happen. What are your thoughts on this, guys? Thanks, and keep up the good work on the podcast. The one thing that stands out to me, right, and and, and I'm not – if if you have three shooters, you're hunting the same time every year, you take the same time off, and you're willing to have the conversations when you're in the woods, you should be having the conversation at the end of September in 2021 saying, hey, this is we're, – we're all getting Elk Bros, and we're all getting Chris Rowe, or we're all getting Elk 101, and you go through that together, and you do your check-ins, so you're all on the same page. Then everybody's on that on that even keel, right? You're on the same playing field, or hopefully. Um, and then you can have the conversations about the woods. You got to come up with the game plan. We don't go into the game blind, right? If you you sit down, you watch any professional sports team, they're watching video, and they're doing that as a team in in most instances. Um, so I had to get that, had to get it off my chest. We we got to start prepping way before August. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you bring up a great point is, is that these guys are willing to work together. And the fact that one person is having to ask this, you know, look, we understand competitiveness. And that's the part that comes out to me is that if you are really uh, a team, if you're really a, a, a group that's doing this and you guys have really and you want to be successful together, I don't mind competitive. I mean, you know, you've got to be competitive in a sense in order to grind day after day after day. But at the same time, as a crew, you know, the, you have to have those unwritten rules with your group you know and and we're like that here's here's how we are is our goal is to put an animal on the ground because there's five or six of us hunting and we want to get one down so that now everybody else is helping the other people there we want to get animals down on the ground and and we have a rule man if we're on one side and it comes to my side that's mine if it comes to the other side that's yours what if it comes to the middle and it's just like this it's the same way i coach basketball players is I would have kids that were so unselfish when they should have taken the shot, they didn't, and we didn't end up scoring, and they try to make a pass, and there's a turnover. In other words, the elk goes away. And so the rule is, is when you have that clean, ethical shot that you know that that animal's going to go down, you don't go, well, maybe Tom has the shot. No, you shoot that booger because that is your job in part of our group, and that's what we expect from each other is to take those good shots like that and be happy for each other when we do do that, right? Now, you had better 
also work this stuff so you know where each other are. You don't put each other in jeopardy, you know, because you asked about our formations. Well, we've said it multiple times. We use a flying V as one of them. So basically it's just like a triangle and I'm at the back end of it and I got shooters out, right, which allows them to, you know, because of terrain, the looks on where the animal is happens so different sometimes, right? We have that and we have the inverted L. So one's going straight, the other one's going up and going to the downwind side. So we've got somebody at the straight on coming, somebody on the downwind side. And it, a lot of this depends on terrain, right? And it depends on how things happen with that. Um, that's our formation. But I think for you, when I start hearing things like, you know, well, guys are being competitive with each other. Well, if you guys well, are being buttheads. Yeah. <laughs> is it the two guys out in front of him? And, I, and yes. I'm wondering, is he, while he's calling, is he hunting? You know, like we do, Joe. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us got a bow in our hands 90% of the time, right. right? Unless one of us is tagged out and then he's a cameraman and mm-hmm. caller as well, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a scenario that you got to kind of go over. And Joe and I have always, when we've hunted together, if the bull's going to the left, Joe's killing him. If the bull's going to the right and I'm standing on the right, I'm killing him. I mean, that's, and Joe's always Uh-oh. gracious about putting you up front, right? And, 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 but at the end of the day, you have to have that communication. It, it happened to me in, in, uh, in, uh, Brendan a couple years ago when Joe called a bull in and I'm waiting on Brendan to kill him. I mean, I could have killed him 10 times, you know, but I'm waiting, I'm waiting on Brendan to draw the bow back and kill him. And look, I didn't know, I couldn't see Brendan. I didn't know Brendan was holding his rainfinder like that and the bull <laughs> staring him down. And I could have shot him at 40 yards broadside, you know, the bull's frontal on him at about 25 yards. And once he gets ready to draw his bow and then the bull bolts, then I got an opportunity. But again, you know, I'm thinking that, that Brendan's the guy, right? So we knew going into that set that Brendan would be the front guy, right? He was going to take the shot. But if the bull bails to my side, then I'm going to kill the bull. And, uh, at the end of the day, that's you got to have those conversations in, in and before you're set up, right? And it has to happen quick. Hand signals need to be discussed. I mean, Joe knows when, you know, when he's when he's giving us hand signals with his eyes or you know, with his, with his fingers. I mean, we, we all know what Joe's saying, especially if he's doing the one that's calling, he's telling us to go, 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 get down there. You know, we know we just got to keep going until we run out of sight of Joe. Right. And then once you see the bull coming, then you got to make you set up. Right. So, and, and the guy's competing. I don't know. I guess I, I'm as competitive as the next guy, but I ain't shooting 80 yards to my left when the guy's got him going that way. But, but you got to figure, you got to figure after so many years of being unsuccessful for two of the guys, right? You're going to feel that we, we kind of lose our minds for backstrap and antler, right? And if you're going out and you're unsuccessful, and I guess that, and I'm using that terminology based on this email, right? Because there's, there's levels to that in my opinion. Um, sure. But if you're going out Did there, you just feel not like, draw? Yeah. yeah, well, but you feel like, hey, I'm taking time away from the family. This is costing yep. me money. I've been at it for five years. The pressure's building. So I, I can understand <laughs> I can understand that competitiveness increasing in those guys. So yeah. I think the conversations need to be had. Like, you know, we got to talk about this on the way to camp, boys. Yeah, oh, well, I, I think there yeah. needs to be a learn. I think there should be a learning opportunity in this, right? It, 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 you don't have to have two shooters out there, right? It sounds like you're the 
you're the badass at calling. You're the guy that's getting it done and telling where, where to set up and all that. The guys are relying on you 100%. Don't worry about putting two of them out there, I say. I say bring one of them back there and let him let him see exactly what's going down and then let him see you steer the bull around to get the guy the shot opportunity, right? Teach them to be able to do that for you. I've been through this situation to where my partner just knew, hey, Cole's going to call that shit in and I'm going to kill it, right? And it got to the point where I was like, man, I – uh yeah, I can go. Yeah, I can go yeah. do this by myself. I, I want somebody exactly. that's gonna. I want somebody that's. I'm gonna see improvement in year after year, and know right. that they're trying to get my back just like I got theirs. Absolutely. So the conversation needs to be had. Like, hey, what do y'all let's do? Make it a better? goal to fill three tags and not just fill y'all's tag because I'm back here working, right? Um, so it could go, it could go a bunch of different ways, but I think it should be, you should let one guy have a turn and do some teaching back here. Okay. We screwed that up. Here's a learning opportunity. And then the next guy gets to come back and then guess what? Both of them can go back there and rake a tree and call for you to yeah. go shoot your bull next time. Yeah, when, well, um, yeah, so yeah I, I think it, it can all be equal that way, right? We've actually done yeah. things, Cole, that, you know, because a lot of times we're all hunting together and we're all carrying a bow. And, and I've had people that have said exactly what you are, that, you know, it's going to be – it's going to be better if just one person focused on being the killer. But I, I can tell you this, too, is when we do a, ser- a scenario or anything like that and we set up in our triangle, a lot of times we see or hear where a bull's coming from. The other guy's shut up, and then one person's on point because sometimes we just don't know which side. And we have actually, I truly believe, because we've done this for a long time, I think we've become but we have done it together for a long time and we understand yes. it. I, yeah. I think we've become really efficient at killing because we've actually had the opportunity at two bulls at the same time because Indeed. of guys that are there. And, and a lot of times you just do not know which way that animal is going to go. And because yeah. of that and because of how we're spread and the way we do it, we've, we've really covered some ground and we've ensured that somebody got a shot out of that deal. So, but there are people and I, and I want to say that, you know, what, what Cole is saying, there's a lot of people that, they're proponents of that. If there's going to be a shooter, focus on them. And then next guy up and then next guy up. And there's something to be said for that, especially if you have this confusion of who's going to be the shooter or you don't understand how to set up. You can shoot. You can put two callers back, man. Yeah. You can do, you can yeah, and, be real and, creative, right? I think it's all set. I think it's all settled though, Joe, with communication. You know, yeah. I've hunted with a couple of guys that, when I, I've been calling and Joe's called, they don't want another shooter in the set. They just want them to be the shooter, and it's kind of selfish. But at the end of the day, they're they're a little upset with if that bull gets around, they're not the guy out in front, and they're no longer in our group. <laughs> so at, at the end of the day, we we kill. We're like assassins, man. When we roll up in there, if there's three, four, I mean, we've had as many as five guys in a set, right? And that's a lot. That's cameraman, callers, three shooters. Actually, four shooters. I mean, it's it's a whole lot, but we go in there and attack them from a you know kind of a shotgun approach where we throw a lot of mud <laughs> on the wall. And uh, at the end of the day, man, we're gonna get one down, right? And it's worked tremendously well for us. And, right? and, and I have hunted off. with guys that were like, 
Ooh, man, that, that many shooters in the group. I, man, you know, I hope some guy just calls me a bull in. Well, you know, you're probably not going to, you're probably not going to fare well when you're doing it with a set. I, I want yeah. to go back to something yeah. that, uh, that Gilbert said though, when he was talking about him and Brendan. And, and here's another way to look at this is that Gilbert was trying to be really, really unselfish in that he really wanted Brendan who has not taken one and Gilbert's killed a bull every year for, you know, nine years, right? So, yeah. He's, he's wanting, he's wanting this guy to have his opportunity. But by him not killing that bull and that bull ending up breaking out of that set, now we still had two hunters that had to fill tag. So now we're still in that same situation of, you know, um, having to get that for both guys where we could have really focused on Brendan. How had he taken that? So in a sense, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. No, and look, I got my ass tore up about it at the end of the day. But, you know, and I deserved deserved it. Look, I mean, when coach – hey, listen, I'm a coachable guy. I come from a long line of athletes. I do a little ass chewing on the field at times too when it it comes to it. But my attitude there was – really laid back and really kind of watching everything unfold when I should have drew the bow back. And I mean, it was an easy slam dunk for me, right? Bull didn't even know I was there. Yeah, it was 35 no, yards. It if it was an yeah, easy slam dunk, that bull would have died, bro. Don't say that. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, it was a slam dunk for me, right? But I really wanted Brendan to kill that bull. So I'm off, right? I'm shut off. I'm really not on point. And when the bull boogered, that's when I drew. And when I drew, I stopped him at 30 yards and my peep had rotated on me. Y'all have heard that deal. And I couldn't see through my peep. Finally, the bull failure turns point. with his butt. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, failure point, right? So since since then, I know exactly where to shoot him with my peep not being, on, you know, where I can see through it. But at the end of the day, those were – had I just drew the bow back when the bull walked in the set out of Smokey, right? I mean, those are – it's a slam dunk. But Travis? for Brendan, it wasn't. And and uh-huh. for me, it was not being on point that was a problem for Joe when I should have went ahead and took the shot. So when Joe got with me, he was not very happy that the bull didn't die, <laughs> right? Because, number one, it it was tough. Joe called that freaking bull in from a long way off, and he come roaring up in there just like we knew it was going to happen, and we don't have a dead bull. So it changed the way that I hunted the rest of of the week. And the next time we jumped in there on a bull, he sent me straight down. He said, don't come. He said, go kill that bull. And I just, I ran down the front of that mountain. He's calling the bull. Bull runs up. He's 57 yards. And I I, I didn't even wait on whoever was around me. We killed him. (laughs) At the end of the day, I knew what my coach wanted, right? He told me, man, don't do this shit again. Right. Let a bull walk in a set and walk out of our lives. Uh uh-uh, uh, you way too good at killing to let that happen. And yeah. And I man, I felt horrible, dude. I mean I I felt like I let, you know, one of my mentors down and uh, that wasn't gonna happen again, you know. So it, again, it's a fo- it's yeah. a definite conversation y'all gotta have before y'all get it going. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with all that. And going kinda back to what Cole was saying, as a teaching opportunity, so how we do it. Because that's kind of how we hunt as well. We got a shooter out front. But what I do with the second shooter, I bring him back just like Cole does. He hangs out with me. He's still in the ready. You know, he cleans all the stuff around his feet so he can move at all different angles and be ready to shoot when he comes in. Because a lot of times you can call that bull. Absolutely. And he, he won't come right past that shooter. He'll he'll trick you and come around the other side. Because sometimes yep. those bulls, 
they want to follow that, you know, downwind mm-hmm. approach. But some of those bulls, I'll tell you what, they just come straight in on a string and they don't care what they're smelling or they're just coming in. So yeah. what we like to do with some of those bulls, because our bush is so thick up here in Alberta, we'll have to literally, we'll put the shooter out front, kind of downwind of us a little bit. And then we'll also I'll have the shooter with me. And once we get that bull coming, I will actually leave that shooter there because they can pinpoint where my sounds are coming from. And now I'll back up again another 20, 30, 40 yards if I can. Now you got two opportunities at that same bull. You know, if, if shooter number one misses him, he's going to come right past that shooter number two because he's coming right exactly to where you're calling from. And at that point, I try not to call too much after I move off. I'll just do some light tree raking and stuff like that, just depending on the scenario that we're throwing out there. But that's kind of one other thing that I've I've learned. That's awesome, man. I I think uh, I think they got a lot out of this with, and I think it could have been a podcast on this, man, because (laughs) get ups and stuff like that. We're going to move on. Um, We're we're going to go to Dalton Heredia, okay, Travis? Okay, yeah, Dalton's from Laramie, Wyoming. Uh, He's got uh, he's got two cow tags in Wyoming starting August fifteenth. I feel I know what to do already, but what do you think? But what do you think would be my go-to options, lost cow, uh, calf call, and sit water. I have I have set set out trail cams to make sure I have cows in the area before the season hits. I also have some draw units in Colorado this year with either sex tag. Uh, the crappy part is I'm going the exact same dates as my as the muzzleloader season because my old man drew a muzzy tag. What are your thoughts there? So let's break this down, the first part there, Trav. Go ahead and jump Yeah. On. So right off the get-go, my feeling is back away from the water. Uh, honestly, like the wind's going to be swirling in there. You're going to be fighting the thermals. Your chances mm-hmm. are going to be way better if you can back up and try to find one of the main trails that the herd's coming through yep. and uh, try to go into almost like an ambush is what I would kind of say. And you can still throw out the scenarios like, you know, pretend you're a cow and a calf, especially do lots of calf stuff because you, you got you got the cow tags. You use that calf sound. Those cows are going to want to come to that calf anyways. So really portray that you're a, you're a calf in that situation and let them let them come find you. And those trails are easy because you can literally get off to the side of it on the downwind side. And those elk, they're like a herd. They're a herd animal. They're coming through anyways. And especially, you know, if it's hot and stuff there, it's going to be either going to water anyway, so it should be a lot easier that way. That's kind of how I would do it. But I think you'd be shooting yourself in the foot if you tried to hunker down right at the water's edge and, and try to get them there. Yeah, they're they're awful jinky when they get around that water because oh. they're, vul- they're vulnerable. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah, and here up in Alberta as well, even though we're surrounded by thick bush everywhere, you get into those wallows or the water springs and stuff like that. I just haven't had luck, honestly. It's uh, I've never killed an elk over water. Never. No, me me neither. Uh, multiple times on the trail, mm-hmm. and and I don't mean like stand ten or twenty yards from the water back in the trail. Get a hundred, yeah. hundred fifty, yeah. two hundred yards away and get them as they're traveling through. For one, they're going to be a lot more. Even if you're not calling, they're going to be a lot more relaxed. And they're just going to be falling through just like they normally would every other day. Now, so. if you're in a blind, that changes things. 
if you mm-hmm. have a blind that you're able to set up in the trees off so that you have a, you know, uh, an effective killing shot at the water. Chap should have, yeah. you know, Chap should have been the one to fill out last year and had multiple animals come in there. On the, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you have a line that's going to contain your scent, I mean, when we used to guide on private property, you know, we had a uh, a midday blind or afternoon blind that uh, we would set in over a wallow. And, I mean, there'd be 15-yard shots on that wallow, but the scent was contained inside that. Yeah. that so yeah. that helped it out, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So you think he's on the right track with cow-calf calls then, right? Yeah, absolutely. Bird talk, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, just like he said, I, that's a perfect scenario. It's how we, we hunt whitetails early season, too. We don't hunt them around deer feeders. We get back off on the trails that are coming, too. A big deer, a big buck, a, a mature deer, he ain't likely to come into those feeders in that area, but he will come scent check all of it, right? And he comes in on those trails from the downwind side. So we hunt back in tripods and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll give you another technique that go ahead. What were you going to say, guy? I was just going to comment on the, uh, the trail cameras out. I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, this is going to hit next week. It's mid dang near mid August. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cow and calves. Yeah. They're likely to be in the same area, maybe, uh, depending on your temperature, but I, I think you're better off getting a plan, you know, B and C together instead of, you know, I'm not saying waste effort, but I am saying waste effort in setting trail cams that this late in the game, are you going to be able to get in there and check those cams and not, you know, stink up your area or blow your situation? I would spend time, man, just beating feet and looking for those old rut areas, you know, find that old rut sign and, and get to that area um, and get that plan B and C together before I worry about trail cams this late, man. Yeah, the the other thing that I was going to yeah. tell you too, Dalton, is if you if – you... <clears throat> You know, the the thing you're trying to do is locate a herd of cows. And, you know, you're going to locate them where the best feed is, and you're going to just hunt those cows um, using those herd sounds. But if if you do come across a herd, I'll just tell you of another technique that some people like to use as well is same as when you bust a flock of turkeys. I mean, you can go in and you can bust up some cows or you can try to get stock inside of them busted out. And if you do bust it, make sure you bust it good and then get in position, go to where you get in position and do some yeah. regathering and, and, and call them right back into you. And, you know, there is a lead cow. And when you start doing those regathering mews, you have a chance just like the turkey to bring them back into at least one of those boogers that's looking for where is the herd, right? So um, yeah. that's just something that uh, is, is another technique. And there's one other there, uh, Joe. Also, don't be scared to use the advertising beagle because you're basically, when you're right. off the side of that game trail, advertised beagle, you're going to be calling the bulls in, but you're also calling all those cows and calves in. So, I mean, if you're a bugler, just get up there and do your advertising beagle. You know, it's just that short whistle how, with the, so, the you know. So how effective do you think that's going to be August 15th, bro? I mean, Absolutely. you know because you guys hunt yeah. that. We don't. I've never hunted before. Yeah. First. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Honestly, yeah, especially then because they're really, they're going to be looking for those cows. And and for the first part, you know, August 15th to 20th, 25th, it's going to be honestly the smaller bulls that are coming in and being right. the herd bull. Yes. The big bulls are, are hanging back. They're waiting yep. until more action happens, right? But don't, you know, even those little four points, they're going to be the herd bull at that time, and they're going to come into that calling as well. So 
uh, definitely, definitely throw it out there. I'm, I'm a bugler by heart, man. And that's just what gets me going. If I'm not out there and I'm not bugling, then I'm not having fun. So that's just what I like to do. I mean, you, I can sit there and count calf call all day long, but to me, it's just that that's boring. I, I gotta be out there. I gotta be hammering on that bugle. If something happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it wasn't meant to be. And I got the next morning or the next evening, I'll just go right out there and do it again. And, but you get that one, you know, that one time, even if you're hunting for a cow, you call that bull and he's just screaming his face off and he's coming in and he's slobbering all over it. What a great experience that is. There's nothing better than that. So, I mean, get in there and, and he's probably bringing some cows with him anyways. So. <laughs> so let's take the second part of this now, um, about, um, hunting with his dad during muzzy season. Yeah. So uh, I can, uh, honestly, what I would do in that situation. Now, I want you I know to know you... what time of year it is though. That that's actually yeah. perfectly in almost the middle of it's right. It's right there during that 15th to the 20th type September. time, man. Yeah. So it, it's a great time. The muzzle. Okay. Yeah. So for me, what I would do in that situation, uh, I would put my tag in my back pocket and I would hunt for my dad. Um, just, you know, you're bonding, you're out there, you're together, you're doing it. I realize you still want to get a, another animal for yourself. And I'm assuming he's bow hunting while his dad's muzzy hunting. Um, but, you know, I I just love that bonding experience because once your dad is gone, you can't get him back. So, and I can tell you that from yeah, experience. So, I mean, enjoy yeah. Enjoy the hunt, wear orange. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so. Well, once your once your family members are gone, they're no longer available, and you know, my dad's gone, so I would give anything to have that tag and go feel that for him. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that that's a pretty doggone good point. That and yeah, again, it's like what we said: put one down on the ground, help dad yeah. make you know that a success, and then you know, then you guys hunt for uh, one with archery, man. So yeah, um, and at that point. Since you muzzy hunted with the dad and hopefully you got one down already, now you know what the general herd's doing and their coming and goings and stuff like that. So doing the archery thing should be a little more easier, and I think you'll have more luck. You may have to obviously move over to a different area because that's going to be ruffled up a bit, especially when you do the pack out. Um, but, yeah, it's it, – And you're I would wear orange, area. man. I would wear yeah. orange. So. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> the guy that got killed in the unit and, we hunted with last year. And, and oh really? Yeah, yeah. And and then I'll make sure make sure that you us. you know after after your hunt and they're asking for stuff, make sure you write a letter in that how how much you'd like to see that changed because no doubt yeah yeah that's uh I'm I just if I, if I had any knock on what Colorado does with their muzzle loader yeah. season is that they don't protect their archers during that time exactly. Yeah, that's right, a rough so, one, man. That experience last year, you know, we had a bunch, and and it's it's a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, oh wow! Yeah. I was going to talk about that, but I don't want to. <laughs> I'm a yeah, little more selfish than Travis. That, I, that you know, rabbit hole. <laughs> well, yeah. well, no, because you know, Travis Travis brought up a really good point. Right? Is is to share that time? Yeah. Um, but I guess it depends on on what what that scenario looked like in his head at first, right? Because this is an yeah. opportunity now to sit that water, have that hundred plus yards off of that water with that muzzle loader. Um, yeah. and, and you can hunt 
close by, when you hey, hear the shot, you can still move in. And as long Absolutely. as you're, you know, you're stealthy working around there, there's nothing wrong with, with both those guys trying to notch that. Love daddy. to call a bull in for my dad. Yeah. And be able to have him shoot it with a muzzle yeah. loader. Oh, yeah. That'd be awesome. Okay, next up, man, we got uh, Mike Bozarth. Everybody knows Mike, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I talked to his son yesterday, um, Out of Idaho. And and this is great. This is a great question, man. RC, you're going to love this, dude. Hey, guys, awesome episode with Mr. Carlton. I do have a question that will apply to a lot of folks out there, and I don't believe I've ever heard it covered. We actually have talked about it on podcasts or elsewhere, and that is learning to use a diaphragm with an upper denture. Is there tricks to shorten the curve? I know for me, I had quit trying for years. That hard plastic service gave me fits, but I finally figured out that can be done. Just don't give up. I'd never be a competition caller, (laughs) but certainly effective. Anyway, um, though it's likely a minority, I'm sure I'm not the only one that struggles with it. Thank you again. As always, love what you're doing, and good luck this year on the mountain. RC, what do you think, man? Well, I know that when I first got my dentures and had to try to learn how to call with it, uh, of course, making a elk sound was ridiculous. I mean, I had no <laughs> way I could even come close, right? And so, I, I like like he did. I put it in my mouth. I kept playing with it, kept playing with it, and I thought, well. Make any kind of sound. I, you know, if it's a turkey sound, if it's a squirrel sound, or if it's whatever. And so I started doing that, and by doing it, then I got comfortable with how it fit in my mouth and stuff. And I personally feel like he needs to get the grinder and it'll work. <laughs> Well, that's what was amazing, yeah. and it was pretty cool because RC, when he got one of the grinders, and he told me, and he started, he was like, "It works. It just worked for that oh. palette that was in there, man." Unbelievable. So, yep. Yeah. And I can speak from that as well. Uh, so one of my actual hunting partner, he played hockey his whole life, and so last year in, I guess it was July, he got all his top teeth pulled out, and he got the palette with the teeth and the dentures and all that. And yeah, he didn't call last year at all, but he's been practicing the whole time through. And now he's calling with, you know, with a reed with a dome on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where's the camera here? Yeah. He's using a reed with a dome on it like that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, he's nailing it. He's, he's obviously, if he can, he'll pull his dentures out to do a lot of bugling if that's what he's doing. But honestly, for the cow and cow stuff, he leaves it in. If he's only doing a couple of bugles here and there, he'll stay in because he don't want to mess with the glue and all that stuff that goes along with it. But it definitely can be done. You just got to oh stick God. with it. Just like yeah. when you're learning how to call from be- beginning stage, it's, you know, grind it out, stay in it, and just put your mind to it and just do it. I was like, man, carry two sets of dentures and glue that friggin' thing to the top of it. That's what Joe told me to do. I mean, you know, I went and got my old dentures out and tried to use it. And 
Uh, no, it don't work. <laughs> you just make sure you got yeah. that hyper call ready. That's actually a really yeah. interesting conversation. Like, yeah. I'm curious now. Like, I don't want yeah. ventures yet. But, yeah. but, but that's yeah. a pretty interesting yeah. topic, right? Yeah. Because especially if it's a full palate, like how much air is lost going, you know, between the roof of your mouth mm-hmm. and the palate of the denture? You yeah. know, yeah. how does that... Cause for me, it's, it's, you know, it, it is tongue pressure, but a lot of that is that palate feeling with that diaphragm, where it's sitting mm-hmm. and how much yeah. pressure I'm applying with my tongue and how tongue, the air is yeah. affecting it. That's that, man. I've never mm-hmm. thought about that. That, yeah, I can see that being a rough one. Yeah. Did yeah. you know why some of these external pressure? calls are so good, man? Yeah. yeah. They're coming out and they're even better, you know, um, you know, this easy sucker that's out and, um, yeah, really the, good. Green, the green weenie that's out. I mean, dude. That green weenie sounds amazing. The hyper call that RC has in his pocket. I mean, freaking crazy good, dude. Yeah. RC, you should send your old set of dentures over to Travis and just have them dome and latex right into the power. <laughs> that's next level right there, buddy. We got that's what I was saying, dude. We got a, we new got game. a real elk hunter. That's what I was yeah. saying. There you go. Do that to it. All right. I'll just, I'll, I'll just duct tape that sucker right in. <laughs> All right. Let's move on, Gil. Well, guys, you know what time it is. Shout out. Shout out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week, Joe. Yes, sir. First up, a special Elk Bros thank you to all those folks taking the time to leave us those incredible reviews on Apple Podcasts because, y'all, wow, man, two weeks in a row, folks are showing some love, man. It was it was awesome. It's just really cool. Thank you so much. Cody from Texas said it was, that we are fun and informative and that we hardly ever mention uh, any brand, this or that brand, like um, – and and I want to tell you, I want to be honest and transparent with that, Cody. Man, is is look, I you know we might not do that a whole lot because I don't know. A lot of times we don't think about it, and we should probably give more kudos. And we actually try to tell you guys about the things that we use, right? Um, and I know that, and I appreciate the compliment that we're not all about just trying to sell things, right? Okay, I, I get that, but I also get that there's a lot of people out there that um, are trying to make a living off of doing. In this and I'm sorry, but a lot of times the only way you can do that is by paying the bills with people that sponsor you and and in and in that same light. And these are people that are doing the same thing that we're doing and and they're out there, you know, trying to make this work. You know, we give tons of free content and that's how I like to tell people to think about it is you're getting free content. You know, it's like watching the TV, man. A commercial is going to come on. Just figure that that's the dime given to the man so that these people can do what they do. And and again, I'm not trying to say anything bad. I so appreciate your comment. I think it's really cool that you feel like and, and it was neat because you said that this is a podcast for the people. And, and that's cool that, that you say that. But at the same time, you know, um, we have our own dime that we try to make here and there. And and I just want people to understand that when you hear that, you know, use some of those people, man. Um, and yeah, hopefully you'll get to know those hosts. You'll get to know what they yeah. represent, how they represent. Yeah. Can I tell you this? There ain't nothing that you're going to hear about us that that we don't truly believe in. 
you know, um, if, if it's something that we've used and we'll tell you if we don't like it or if we've had trouble yeah. with it or if there's a better choice, I, I look, you're going to find on our Elk Bro site, we have a grinder call that's made by that man right there, Travis O'Shea. Travis O'Shea. At, at Wapiti River Outdoors, who has his own calls and he has a variety of incredible stuff that, you know, I actually keep for him here now to be able to ship out if he sells because he's in Canada. But, you know, I, I, we are working with uh, Mark Carlton. And I'm going to put, look, I'm going to put Carlton calls on our site, and I'm not selling them. It's going to go to their site. Like, if you buy something from Travis, we're not getting anything out of it. I just believe in him and what he does. I believe in Mark and what he does. And, you know, and I'll tell you this. Uh, God DePonche's got some new products Oh, out. my I mean, gosh, man. You know, you know some really cool stuff. If you knew Guy Duplantier and and this guy, how intense and how how much of a perfectionist and how much gear he's run, anything this guy comes out to is going to be to a standard above what people do, man. So you know, I I love his intensity and his passion, and I know yeah. that, man. I tell you what, um, you know, he he we, we, won't, we won't endorse anything that ain't grinder tested, brother. Absolutely, you know, man. We said that a thousand times. If it's grinder tested, grinder endorsed, we'll back it, and uh, we don't expect anything out of it. At the end of the day, we 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 do good business with good people. It's hard to do good business with bad people, and we just yeah. won't do it. You can go on our site and you can find an Elk Bros bow hitch. And let me tell you where that goes. It goes to bow hitch because that's a New Mexico guy just that comes out that has made a product that is it's better than sliced bread, y'all. And I want to see him. I want to see good people succeed. We want to see good people succeed. So um, I appreciate the comment, Cody, and I and I probably went too much too far on that, but I, I really thought it was important to say that, man. So. Um, Chris sure. McKelvey out of, Chris. out of Meridian, Idaho has never missed an episode. Uh, he says now he oh, just needs an Idaho tag, man. <laughs> well, we got him a New Mexico tag. Joe, tell him we make him a good deal on a New Mexico tag. Absolutely, man. They're, yeah. they're selling our product. Call, Chris? You know, what's cool about Chris is, is man, he, uh, he just made the move to Idaho from, yep. uh, from that old Western state there on that uh, border in that Pacific ocean. And he was, he was kind of right on my heels with his move, man. I was, I was going like this, come on, man, get out, get out. And he got out on time. So, and we have, we have Randy SF. I don't know if that's San Francisco, but he said he loved the episode with Mark Carlton. Um, Dusty Davis, man, Dusty out of Southern Wyoming, even Dusty, you know, Dusty's been at it for a while. He says, even after hunting for over 30 years, he says an old dog can le- still learn new tricks from the elk bros, man. And uh, I, that's an incredible compliment. Fisher King eight. Um, and of course it worked for him with the name Fisher King. Say so really liked the casting calls and bait analogy. It just said it really worked well for him. And Antonio Trapini out of Waretown, New Jersey, he says that the guy says he just really loves the camaraderie on the show. So all you guys have sent those in. Thank you very much. Um, I, you know, if you put your name, put you where you're from, we'll give you a shout out to there. All right. So let's go to this week's top listening city is an Alabama city that was named after a 24-year-old Confederate Army soldier who was killed in action in 1863. One of the fastest-growing cities in the state, it offers a diverse mix of recreational and entertainment options. It has Alabama's largest state park here, 
and annually hosts Grammy Award-winning bands and musicians from around the country. And that's in Pelham, Alabama. Yeah. Pelham, Alabama, Joe. Pelham, Alabama in the house, man. The great state of Alabama. I was there last week. I was from (laughs) Dothan all the way to Gulf Shores, man. Uh, Love Daphne, one of my favorite restaurants in a little town called Spanish Fort, Alabama. It's called the Oyster House. It's a fantastic seafood joint. So, yeah, Alabama's – I've been all over Alabama the last two months. Brother, you've been all over the world. (laughs) I bought a boat from Athens, Alabama, and took a boat to Knoxville, Tennessee. So – yeah, I've been all over the world the last That few needs years. to be our gig, bro. We need to charge people to put a sign in their place you've been that says, Big O Ben here. Right. Been here. <laughs> <laughs> this, this dude, this, every time a city comes up, he's like, oh, I've been there. Oh, I've and, been there. And, yeah. And can tell you dang near, he can tell you the cultures, the ethnicities, the food. I mean, it Wait is till the next tanny. top listening city. Wait till this next top listening city, guy. This western city is known for its dinosaur fossils and its rich natural gas production. Don't think Big O ain't been there chasing the oil field around. That's for sure. A tourist must stop is a hike through the Fantasy Canyon and Dinosaur National Monument located nearby. The city is located in the Uinta Mountain Range, one of the relatively few mountain ranges that lie in the east-west direction rather than the usual north-to-south direction. It was once a part of the expansion of the Uinta Indian Reservation in none other than Vernal, Utah. Spent many days up there chasing drilling rigs up there in my bit days back Mm -hmm. in the day, brother. Vernal, Utah, beautiful little town, man. That's awesome, man. Uh, I feel still in the Uinta Basin. Travis. Yeah. Okay, this small lakeshore city, settled in 1852, is located on the southern shore of Lake Minnetonka in Minnesota. The city is famous for old boats and the creation of the song, You Can't Have It All by the Rolling Stones. Uh, top tourist destinations include Apple Day, uh, an annual lakeside celebration promoting the city. Uh, Licks Unlimited Fabulous Ice Cream Shop and Lake Minnetonka's Two pub- Public Beaches, Excelsior, Minnesota. Excelsior. Excelsior, Minnesota. Yes, sir. I, dude, I thought it was perfect that you were doing You sound like you're from Oh, Minnesota. dude, I was yeah, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wonderful. You're doing good, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> Minnesota. Yeah, that's awesome. This city is located on the east side of the Grand Lake O the Cherokee and is home to the Grand Lake Casino. Sounds like a place I would enjoy. Uh, yeah. I like my yeah. Texas holes. It's another big it old is, one. It is famous for hosting the professional. Is, is this really a, something that people do? Bassmaster. Come on, brother. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Bassmaster Classic Fishing Tournament and a recreational Amen. hot spot. It is home to a 38-acre park on the shore of Grand Lake and was once part of the Cherokee Nation. And none other than, and he's probably been there. You know Grove, he has. Oklahoma. Bingo. Grove, Oklahoma, man. The land of Grand Lake, man. One of the best bass fishing lakes in the country. And some of the <laughs> finest people you'll ever meet. 
Not like, awesome. coon, not like them coon asses? <laughs> no, come on, man. We love all our coon ass brothers. Cowley transplant coon asses. We love them all. All right. This city was named after Revolutionary War hero and War of 1812 officer who simply owned the largest acreage in the area. The now defunct Ohio Match Company was established here in 1893. The Match Company made the world famous Ohio Blue Tip Strike Anywhere Matches. It's home to the world's largest match matchstick, a 17 foot tall matchstick that burns 24 hours a day during the. He's shaking his head already during the Blue Tip Match Festival, which is held annually during the third weekend in June. Wadsworth, Ohio. Wadsworth. 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 Ohio. Cool. That is a cool thing. A 17 foot matchstick. Wow. Come on, tell us what you know. No, I'm good. You're shaking your head. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. wads worth a <laughs> Did you hear that, y'all? I've got to take a second from the show to tell you about the Enchantress call from Slayer Calls. This call, it gets you the most realistic bugles in cow calls I have ever heard from an external. Look, the folks at Slayer Calls designed this external call to act just like a human tongue. So literally, with the push of a button, anyone can use this bad boy to bring those puppies running. Look, if you struggle with diaphragm calls or you have a partner that's just not able to call, y'all, this right here is your ticket to sucking those bulls right on in. If you want to try the Enchantress, which they're calling the Elk Slayer now, to put me in your freezer, then just use our code. It's one word, ElkBroSlay. Again, that's the code, ElkBroSlay, on SlayerCalls.com. <laughs> All right, boys, let's rock and roll. Main content, our Elk yes, Bros Adventure Success Squad. And and this is, I, I want to call this fixing the holes in your game. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the holes in our hunter's games, those things, those glaring common problems or issues from our areas of focus, from you guys, from your areas of focus, that you feel could be a great learning moment for all of our listeners and possibly help improve their odds of success if they take note and make changes right now if needed or are prepared for that to happen come time, right? Okay? And what we're going to do here, man, uh, Guy, you were one of the first guys out of the gate man that uh, got to work with the guys so you, right now i'm going to let you talk about some of those things for you um probably the most glaring items that you feel need to come out okay <laughs> we could have okay. done this and had four hours of just this right um gear and shooting i, I you know this ties into cole's comment earlier right gear is a, a very very subjective thing um in use in finance, um, in type of hunt, the, you know, the style of hunt that you're going after. So, so trying to nail down not just this season with the coaching, but future seasons and understand right. what their main goal is. Right. Right. Cause you tell the guy, well, for base camp, you need X, Y, Z, elemental P, Q, T, Z, 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 right? And they're, you know, all you see is do dollars just flying away, right? Yeah. They're looking so, at you like a calf looking yeah. at a new gate. Right. <laughs> but, but it really, it really comes down to you can base camp out of your pack 
yeah, you're not going to have the luxuries, but you can still do that, right? You can get, you can get mm-hmm. these things to serve you until you can accumulate those, those luxuries, if you will. And, and that's where I think we go wrong is, is we, I did it for years, man. For me, I still do it. I've been good the last two years. I want to try everything, right? I want to try and feel and touch and use and, you know, put it through the paces and have it fail, not fail. But hot dang, man, how much money and time is it going to cost you? So looking, looking at what their intent is and basically starting from the basics, right? You can do anything with your pack, your first aid kit, your essentials, your game bag. You can go do any scenario you want. You could base camp in a three-man, three-season tent in early to late September. It's not going to hurt you. Um, so the gear part is really is really an individual thing. Now, we can't go – well, we can. I've done it. Testing gear is expensive, right? We don't have the opportunity to take gear out, beat the heck out of it, and then say, well, I didn't like it, so I'm returning it. And there's companies that, you know, let you return the stuff. Um so that's a that's a really hard thing to coach, right? I, there's no coaching in that really. I can give them what works for me, uh, and that's what we've kind of been doing there, right? And and the the nice thing with that is Sawyer S3. I'm just using that for an example. I'm not plugging Sawyer does nothing for me, um, but provide a good product that I pay for with my money. Sawyer S3. It's a it's a water filter, right? It, it's great to have in your pack. It it's heavy metals pesticides and 99.98% of the bacteria and viruses that are, that are found in water. When they hear stuff like that, you know, Hey guys, I've been using this for X, Y, you know, this amount of years and I've drank and literally wanted to see how good it was and pulled piss water out of a wallow to see how much for me, a regular filter do it, but you're going to get the smell. Right. And, Look at Joe's going, no, no, no. <laughs> but you, you do, you do get some of the things too. Yes. Yeah. Right. And a lot you of that, do. Is, yeah. A lot of that is the aroma that's going in there. So you end up tasting that. Year. I've been in some bad spots, y'all. I've been in some bad spots in the backcountry. And like what he said, that is, that's real life when you're out there. Yes. Right. Filtering yes. water. A lot of guys don't like, I was going to say, if when you're talking about gear, like sky's the limit, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the certain things that you know you're going to need. You're going to need to walk around, right? So you're going to need some boots. You know you're going to carry meat. That's our ultimate goal. You're, you're going to need to take care of that meat. And then ultimately you want to be able to sleep and eat good, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that can be everything from like a $1,500 Amazon setup to $15,000 worth of the ex- most expensive crap. camp and having right. the mafia cooking for you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just, like, <laughs> exactly. but you know, it's things like that, right? So sharing them, sharing the S3 with them, you know, and then, you know, I just picked it up off the floor cause it's still sitting there, but that's the S3. Um, and it's, it's on the go. Like I can roll this thing up, but you fill this with water, shake it 10 times, squeeze it a few times and you're good to go. You're on the fly. And man, you don't, you don't taste the pee cold. Um, so it's things like that. So it's not so much of a, a coaching aspect. It's my experience um, over 20 some odd years chasing pig and deer. And, you know, this last few seasons, of elk, so, I'm so in the what, woods the whole month. But even though, okay, so, so gear is a personal choice. We all know that there's going to be things that we like, things that we mm-hmm. don't like. I've, 
until last year, um, because I only selected to do a packing, I've never carried a water filter in my life. Um, I've, you know, I've never, um, had to worry about certain equipment because what I did was because I didn't have that, I planned my style of hunting around what right, I did. Exactly. Have, right? <laughs> okay. So what, what I want to make sure of though is, is with gear and when talking about this, what is the hole in the game then? I mean, where can, no matter what you pick, where can it be a failure point with gear? No matter what you pick, what what could cause that gear to be a failure point? Not the biggest thing in my head is buying that gear, taking it from the box, put it in the bag. That yeah. That is the biggest no-no in my yeah. head. I don't get anything. I won't go to a store and buy anything and not try it. I won't get anything in the mail and not try it. And And I have a cutoff point, right? And if you are, I don't care if you're doing a day hunt, right? If you're going to walk around with a day pack on your pack or excuse me, on your back, you better know how to shoot with it on. You better know how it plays on your shooting, right? I mean, that we want to talk failure points. That's where it's going to come from. It's going to change a little bit. And the more weight you put on it, if the, if your shot angle, if you're off camber, if your back is downhill, how does that affect your bubble? What should you be doing with your bubble? Right. When, when you're adding this weight and stuff to you, um, Cole brought up boots. Boots, boots even, are huge. Yeah, well, boots could do Have it, your right? fucking and soles me. fall off while you drive, while you, well, not, trying to but not even that. But not even that. For me, if I, if I'm barefoot and I step on a penny, it feels like I stepped on a nail. I got super sensitive. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Me too. So guys. I can feel, I, I have to have. Uh, a minimum, a bare minimum of a five on a stiffness on my soul because I don't want to feel anything. If I feel something and I'm back here, I'm in my process and I'm a, I'm a pretty good GD archer. I'm going to feel that in on my foot and I'm going, what's on my hmm. foot? What's It's taking me off my <laughs> right? And then I don't believe in just boots. I believe in a footwear system, right? Yeah. I want Socks have Great to be socks. premium socks. Definitely. A good soul that, that – and souls are, are – are, I, I think we soul. overlook, I think we overlook an insole, right? Because it's yeah. not just about cushion, right? There's a mm-hmm. stiffness in those insoles. There's cushion yeah. in those insoles. There's volume that we want to decrease or increase that are in those insoles, depending on how our foot fits in that boot. So these are all factors. How do you, how do you go through that without trial and error and getting them big old blisters, right? And, and so it's, it's things like that, the little nuances that you kind of have to work out, but don't go buy a pair of Salewas or Krispies or Hoffman's, put them on a day Your before. First day of the hunt. Yeah. yeah. Or put, that's the worst thing you can do. You're going to get a hot spot. And if you don't have anything to relieve that hot spot or you haven't had that in a boot previously, cause a lot of guys are coming from back East. They're wearing muck boots, right? They're wearing mm-hmm. muck boots now where they're walking on flat ground. They come out to the mountains in the West. Excuse me. They put these boots on. They're up and down. That heel is rubbing, you know, and it, it, it'll wreak havoc. It'll absolutely wreak havoc. So, so that's we, the kind of oh, – I'm sorry. And the feet, your no, feet yeah, are the I'm most sorry, important man. part. Yeah. So if we were to take that, it's basically whatever you're going to use – Make sure you've used it before. Yeah, there should be no surprise. You don't want None. to be surprised by that, None. right? Yeah. Yeah, I got a brand new pair of Krispies. I took uh, Mr. Cole Wilkes' advice. I bought me a brand new pair of Summits, and uh, I've got probably 25 miles on them already, maybe a little more. I don't like – they're real soft-soled, so I don't like beating them up on this concrete here. But I wanted to find out whether there were going to be any hot spots. So well, you're I not going to know, though, Gil. That's the problem. That's right. 
Well, I went, on a five mile, I went on a five-mile hike the first night I got them, and I'd have known then because I didn't just go straight on the concrete. I went through some, some, uh, through some ups and down <laughs> terrain, side hilling, up and down some curves, <clears throat> stuff like that. So, I mean, in five miles, I knew what was going to happen, and I did not wear a premium pair of socks. So I, I didn't get any hot spots on my feet. So I was really encouraged by that. When I did wear a good pair of socks, and and uh and wore them again man i just didn't have any issues so but i would have i'm like you guy i'm never going in first day wearing a, a pair of boots that i've never worn i mean well, but there's a lot of guys that do that I, there is all the gear man if if all you're yeah. fun in it practice yeah. in it man yeah get in it so you don't have surprises you know it's like um we wear a face mask and now that i'm shooting a, a different bow and it's got a bomar button on it it's got a kisser on it and if i wear a face mask up what does that feel like i mean i've been shooting in my yard trying to build that shoulder up and i've been shooting getting used to how that feels on bare skin but what about when i pull that back and i've got a a gator on my on my face, man, and covered up. How is that going to, am I going to have to have that pulled down? You discover that stuff before you get out there. So I think that's the the big thing that, that you come out with the coaching, besides going through the expertise of, you know, because you are trying to do things with these guys so that not only are they hunting with us, and we tell these guys, yeah, we're doing a base camp, but you need to be ready to um, spike out. You got to be ready to do that. Um, also, if your goal is to be doing a backcountry hike thing that Cole loves to do, that you love to do, here's the things that I recommend for doing that, or things you need to look at. So, so that's been big. Now I'm going to take you to the one that you're really going to go, <gasps> and that's in the shooting, right? Come on, Cole. Well, What's the most glaring thing in that? Oh, hold on, I'm going to throw something in there. Okay. Just be prepared in camp. These boys are ready for a minimum of two days spiked out. They're, yeah. they're already. They're already chomping at the, we want a minimum two days. <laughs> so, so I better get I on with you and Gil. Wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, the biggest, the biggest standout, the biggest, the number one standout, and I was, I was torn between these two is understanding why your effective kill range is that number. I don't care if it's 20 yards, 60 yards, 80 yards. Why is it that number? And then what, what, what's your judge, right? Because you hear, man, 90% of our guys said 40 yards. That is the number that we have heard in archery for decades, right? So you say, well, why is it 40 yards? And you don't get an answer or you say, okay, that's a good shot. You know, how, what's your group at, at 60 yards? Why isn't that your kill, your effective kill range? And you can't get an answer. It is, it, these things are plugged in. And Joe and I kind of have briefly had this conversation over text, but these things are kind of maybe subconscious. at that distance. Well, no, because these guys, I got, in. no, I got guys that are, that are shooting proficiently, right, at 80 yards. I, I, the goal was to take these guys 10, 10 yards beyond. And I said, no, we're going to go 20 because if I go 20, I know you got the 10, right? Mm-hmm. But as we have progressed the understanding of why that's your effective kill range. So for me, if I'm shooting at 50 yards, just say that's, that's my goal. I want a 50 yard kill range, right? Effective kill range. That doesn't mean for me, I want an eight inch pie plate. There's too many variables in an eight inch pie plate with an elk. I, I just can't do it, right? I want a golf ball size group 
or I'm not going to shoot that distance. I, I'm just not going to do it. If I can't take my, my three arrow group, my first arrow is in my head, the only one that really counts when I walk up to the range. And when I take that shot, it better hit the mark. Right. And I'm, and I'm a judgmental SOB with myself. Like you wouldn't believe I have no patience with myself. If I'm shooting bad, none, none, I will sit there and talk more mess than, than, you know, 50 sailors on a drunk. <laughs> um, but I understand the criteria for my effective kill range, right? One inch group guy. I want a one, one and a half inch group at that yardage. If you're not consistently doing that and I, and my target is always mid July. Okay. Mid July. That's what I got to be shooting period. Or I'm backing down my yardage. And when I go in the woods, that's it. So from mid July, I'll take a few long shots, but my broadheads are spend on. And that is where I am practicing everything down below. That doesn't matter. Right. So understand why you're, you're setting your yardage and your criteria. For me, it's always worked. It's, it's allowed me to hone in when I go into the woods it's about confidence. I don't want to have to worry about a groups. Oops. I don't want to have to worry about a group this big on an animal. I want that tough to hair, right? Pull back and know every time that it's going to hit Gil, you're the same way. I'm going to hit that mark. Um, no questions asked. Yeah. No, that's, that's what it comes down to. There's no mm -hmm. questions that I'm going to hit what I'm aiming at. No hesitation <clears throat> either. When you draw no, the bow your back, cadence, your cadence yeah, no is there, your shot process is there and it's 110% confidence. But why, what's telling you that that's what, why is that your mark? I got a guy saying, man, I, I'll kill an animal out to 70 yards. Right. <laughs> but then he, we talk about elk and he's like, well, 40 yards. Why? Why the 40? Give me the reason why 40 if you're proficient to 70, right? And I'll upset people all the time and I'll say, I'll take an elk out to 80 yards. If it's a good, clean shot, I'm going to send that arrow. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not frustrating. I get a little excited about it, but it's like we have to understand why we're setting the parameters for ourselves. And I think when we set those parameters, if we don't understand why we limit our growth as, as archers, as hunters, um, if anybody got anything chime in i was kind of a yeah so no i think i think each guy i think each guy needs to know that for themselves yeah. and i think each guy's different guy you know I, I i love the goal of okay you say 50 is your deal well let's strive for 70 that way we know 50 is going to be no problem and if we do have to make a follow-up shot at 70 we've been doing it a bunch so at the end of the day mm -hmm. it's all good i mean i've been with archers that are really good archers right but shooting at animals is so different than shooting at foam. You know, foam don't move. Uh, animals do. And they elk pivot when they hear something. And between, you know, between 19 yards and 31 yards, they really can get it going. Inside of that, they're never going to be able to move, right? Our, our arrows would have to travel you know, at 600 feet a second for them not to be able to move between 19 and 31. And then once it gets past 31, they don't really hear it as much. But I shot a bull last year at 53 yards, and I'm telling you, that bull knew that arrow was coming when I cut it loose. You can see him move before the arrow ever gets there. The good thing is is it was in the right spot, you know. And when he moved, he moved even in, in a better position, but we knew when he's going to spin out, that's where he's going to go. So again, the experience that you have shooting at live animals really, really plays into that effective killing range, right? Look, RC Knox had the shot. RC Knox had the shot. 
we we set it up. RC was the first one to get to draw. He he knew that he was not going to shoot that bull at that distance. He said the first thing he said when I stopped that bull, he said he's too far. Gilbert, kill that bull, right? He knew that what he he was going to do was not going to be it, right? So I applauded RC because he knew exactly what he wanted to do. He deferred. He knew that I'm you know, I'm like you guy. 80 yards, that's not gun. If he's standing in the right spot, not looking at me, he's, he's in the serious trouble. But, um, again, it, each guy's so different in how they feel confident wise. But that's it's really but, about confidence. Right. So, but that, but that goes back to it. Understand why that, that, that's your effective kill range. That's all I'm yeah. saying is yeah. understand why you're limiting yourself as a long range shooter. Right. Hey, I don't have a good dope out to a thousand yards, but you know, 800 and in, I'm, I'm solid. Right. Oh, I get a little shaky behind the trigger at, at 50 yards, man. I don't know what it is. You know, the, the, the target's so much smaller, but understanding that those are things that you can work through as an archer, as a, as a, as a rifle shooter, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. I I just just want people to understand though, that when you're, when you're a rock star in your backyard, Things change a little bit out there in the woods, and and mm-hmm. I mean you've got up down, you've got other things that are changing. Um, you're trying to figure out stuff. You don't have. It's not like you've gone and you've shot at that thing. You know how many times every time you've done that, and you know that distance, you know that feel, you know how it is. You get a little bit different. Um, stuff happening out there now should you be focusing the same absolutely but it's again it's like it's like having that mask on your face with a bomar button it feels different right and sometimes you can get out there after you've been a rock star in your backyard and now you're not you're not perfectly standing up with your feet just right you got things wrong maybe you have a foot up on a rock maybe you had to turn you had to do something like that so what i tell guys for that your range finder gets rained on or something crazy happens with it then what's your effective range yeah how are you gonna guess how far are you gonna guess your shot well that's the next one cole have you you practiced have you practiced at that have you practiced it just walking and guessing and and leaving your range finder behind or holding Holding for a minute and a half, two minutes before you get to pop that shot, right? And being patient, not rushing the shot, right? All of that goes into it. You got to really understand the situation. And and I hate to say this, but really experience is where you get how to handle those situations, is being in the middle of it, right? Anybody that's been successful has has only been successful because they failed. Right. And at the end of the day, part of this prop that we're doing is trying to keep you from getting to these failure points of us. If you have to rush a shot, it's wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you straight up. If you've got to rush an archery shot at 99.9% of the times, it's going to be wrong and you're going to want that arrow back. Right. If If there is a doubt in your mind, you cannot hesitate. If you have any doubt at all, don't let it go. Right. I'm telling you, you don't yeah. know the yardage. Uh, I think I know the yardage. No, don't send it, man. You're going to be disappointed. And and I, I wish Luis was here because he could really chime in on that. You know, there are a lot of times that he let loose to an arrow. He just didn't understand the angle or, and he didn't feel right. He'll tell you, I didn't feel confident. And at the end of the day, man, don't let it go unless you got that calmness and you're in that zone and you've been patient and you can let it rip, right? And, yeah. and, and you, once you get one, it gets easier. 
It really does because your experience level gets yeah, kicked in. You, right? you eliminate because absolutely. What I was trying to say earlier is you you've got some of those additional pressures out there, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it, it's the same thing, man. It's like you going to shoot in your backyard and going over to your neighbors and everybody in the neighborhood and go, man, come watch me, I'm incredible, and they're standing all around you. That changes things a little bit, right? You add some of that. So Joe, it changes things a little bit being in the in the in the camp with us. You take a look. I love our brother Brendan, but that pressure of getting that monkey off my back and getting the bull killed is extreme when you got one coming in. He wants that pressure. And guys that hunt with other guys that may not be as experienced, like we're going to have an elk camp with us, they're going to feel that pressure, right? And and that's something that they, they got to understand that don't let something get out in front of you that you wouldn't take that shot originally, right? That, that's Stay in your discipline. Yeah. Go ahead. You have to, you, you have to really know uh, when they're coming through. You got to draw your bow before before you're, they're even coming through. You got to be drawn. Be at full draw, and then don't take a walking shot on an elk because they have such a big stride. Bark at them, cow call, do whatever you have to do. Please just stop that elk. Stop. That yeah. pin is exactly right where you have to be. Pick that tuff of hair and let her fly. Unless you know. they're 10 yards away. Okay, so. The, yeah. You can put all of them in there. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, Joe's gotten a buddy of mine, and the, the bull stops 10 yards away, and he looks at Joe, and he goes, which pin should I use? How far? All of them. How far? So Cole hit on it. So Cole hit on my, on my second point, right, and that's judging yardage. Um a lot of it is we, you know, with that, I think we're just so dependent on our range finders. Um, you know, a lot of us started I, when I started, I couldn't afford a range finder. They were there. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't go buy one. So I had to tape things off. I'd go to the mountain and I'd take a hundred foot tape measure and I would literally tape things off to learn my angles. I, I can't remember. It's like basically an inclinometer and it had a flat base and it was a circle, it had a, a pin on it. And I'd set that on the slope. And that pin would tell you this is 25 degree slope. This is a 30 degree slope. That's how I learned it. So I had to learn how to judge yardage and slope so I could make those corrections because I couldn't afford to go buy a rangefinder. Um, but I think a lot of it, the dependency on the technology limits us there. So I, I had the guys go out and I said, Hey, I want you to walk up and I want you to just pick a random yardage, right? Pull that thing back. Just, I think I'm here and send it. You may sacrifice an arrow, but I want to see where you're at and, and do that. Every time you walk up to the range, first one, no range finder, pull it back. And, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised because they were pleasantly surprised in their ability to judge yardage, right? And the guys were different, right? I had, you know, um, uh, Doing that in a wide open is a lot easier too than in well, in and a we closed talk, corridor, right? Right. We 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 talked about lighting and contours and things like that because that'll all change it, man. You get in some of that that dark timber, right? And you don't see that little rise, you might be in trouble. Um, but you know, I had I had guys were like, you know, I'm good out to about twenty five, thirty, and then they came back, hey, I'm I'm good out to fifty yards. You know, can't believe it. We saw we have the text chain going on on the little app there. And, yep. uh, you know, I'm walking around and, and it's really nice when guys are exposed to livestock, right? Because now I have this, you know, elkish size animal right. that I can go in and I start picking detail. And that's what helped me is, you know, the, I get this much detail 
with my vision at this yardage. And I have this yeah. much less detail at this yardage. And you just learn to kind of break that up. So, you know, a couple guys were taking like business cards out and kind of using that and just taking the mental snapshots is what I've always done. Um, and it's never been inside of that, you know, that, that dead on yardage that I can judge. Right. It's always beyond that. That's where we need to work. So that's kind of how, you know, where I had them going there. Um, so th- those were the two majors. And then another one was the first aid kits. Uh, when I brought that up in our, in our gear discussion, um, you know, make sure you're carrying a first aid kit that's going to serve you in any hunt, right? We're, we're dealing with knives. We're dealing with broadheads. We're dealing with other hunters. You just never know. One of the biggest things and not just with these guys, but over the years is, is we have first aid kits and we have very little knowledge in how to use the items in said first aid kit. Grinders tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Podcast. Our goal is to share our knowledge and help you flatten that learning curve so that you too can have some of the very same incredible experiences that have given all of us here at Elk Bros a lifetime of memories. If you like what you hear or see, you can get all of this information plus so much more from our Base Camp Elk Hunting Training Camp, the first in a series of online courses from our Blue Collar Elk Academy. Our Base Camp Training Camp allows me to use my coaching style and share almost 40 years of elk hunting experiences successfully hunting elk on public lands as well as over 20 years guiding hunters of all ages and experience levels. This course will be like nothing you have ever experienced in concept and structure using success-based coaching techniques that will elevate your confidence and skill sets. Our camp will prepare you specifically from that final moment most in your control, those final minutes or seconds the elk is in front of you, backwards through each step and level, allowing you to see, visualize, understand, and relate every coaching point to what lies ahead, the next step, the next thought process, the next success. Because, y'all, you've already been there. You know what it looks like. By tapping my 30 years of teaching and coaching experience, our camps are developed considering multiple learning modes with text, visuals, audio, as well as video. And Base Camp will benefit those new to elk hunting all the way to the 10 to 15 year vet. So if you are looking for that one thing to help you fill that tag this year, invest in the most important piece of equipment there is, you and your elk hunting knowledge. You can find the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy and the Base Camp Training Camp at elkbros.com. That's E-L-K-B-R-O-S dot com. Keep dreaming of the screaming, believing in achieving, and most of all, keep grinding. So, you know, and that's one of the things like, oh, we're going to talk about that again because it's a safety thing. Um, so that's another, you know, that's a repeat topic um, that's going to come up in this week's session. Um, but making sure like, you know, tourniquet, um, folks think they know how to use a tourniquet, right? And I don't know that most folks really know how to use a tourniquet. Um, you know, there's the zip stitch that's good for, you know, pretty, pretty decent lacerations. Um, those are a few years old consumer wise. They're expensive. So a lot of people don't get them, but absolutely in my opinion, essential to have in a first aid kit. 
Um, so getting those and then being zip stitch are expensive. You got to sacrifice a couple of them to make sure you know how to use them. Because if you're out there and you're injured and, and say you got three buddies with you or say you're in Elk Bros camp, but you go out solo, you have to, you have more pressure on you to save your arse than you do pressure on you to kill that bull. Right. If it's life or limb, you have to stay cool, calm and collected as much as you can in order to apply that tourniquet, deal with the pain and have a steady mind so you can get out of that situation. So the 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 first aid kit portion of that was another big another big one for me that I think there's it, holes it's got to be guy because I, I guarantee you how many times do I really go out every day and think about that situation? I just don't. don't. I'm, I'm in the woods and man. That's been my home for all my life, and I don't really think about that. But it, you bring up such a great point that I'm going to think about it from now on. And, I, you know, not until you fall and crack something do you go, oh, crap, man, I'm yeah. way away from where I need to be. Man, I, I need to be able to handle this. And the, realization, or threes, yeah. the realization of the oh, crap always comes in moments where we – we shoulda, coulda, woulda. Could've and I was stuck on a hillside hunting solo. I got lazy, so I pulled off my pack, left it in the truck, hunted with a fanny pack. This mm. hill was called Mayday for a reason, right? Because the only way if you got stuck, you were getting off was, was sending out the Mayday. Um, yeah. so now my first aid kit, man, that was a bad situation. My first aid kit lives in the bottom right of my pack. So no matter what I do, whatever I pull out my pack, I don't care if it's day five, day 23 on the mountain, if I move that, I'm like, oh, no, pack comes off, and I put it right back to that right spot. My head's not going to be there, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's life or limb. We go out and we enjoy it's this. Training. But it, a lot of this is, it's it's I say it all the time, right? It's kind of a selfish endeavor to a point. But I don't want to be so selfish that I can't make it home to my wife, right? Yeah. So I have to know where that kid is. I got to stay cool. I got to know how to use it. Right. If it's a laceration, a visceration, let somebody shoot you. Don't even know that they shot you. You know, it it just there's a lot of risk there. So that was that was my top three, Jojo. I don't want to be too, too much more. Yeah, no, I think that's really good, man. I mean, uh, because those are major points to talk about, because I I really think critical is your effective range, because not knowing that um, is is huge and and being able to judge distances when you don't have that. I mean, I, I really think there's times when guys actually lose opportunities on animal because they insist on ranging something um, that they should be able to shoot at that 30 yards and in, man. They should never have to worry about that. And and I, I know they're thinking about, well, I want a diamond or something like that. But, I mean, the way you guys shoot, if you're really shooting on and you have that, man, you know, um, it would take a major muff between 30 yards and 20 yards. I mean, it would take a major oh. muff to not <laughs> tag that, right? So, you know, I, I think you need to do a lot more w- – <laughs> in your ability level, and I think that would be huge. Now, I'm going to kind of change this lineup just a little bit because of the people that we have tonight. I want to make, you know, I know some of us are going to be here together no matter what in the future here. But uh, so actually, Cole, I'm going to I'm going to put you uh, on the on the hot seat now. You know, some of the things sure. that that you've come across in talking with these guys and not only this year, but last year on on setup aggressiveness and decision making. Right. Um, because in us talking to guys you know i'm there with you and i see this and that is huge in that area so i'm I'm gonna let you have that oh man i think setup is 
you know, other than apart from all your equipment and stuff like that and being dialed in, setup is is key whenever you're trying to close that deal. Um, and I don't think, you know, a setup for somebody is, is different for what it could be, you know, for us, right? Um, just understanding the way the elk move through the woods and what they do whenever they get into situations where they're being called to or they're out, you know, looking for that situation. If, if we're in a calling situation, right, which most of these guys are, um, you know, having a correct setup is, is key. Um, and man, you can, you can see examples of bad ones all over the place. Well, I think a lot um, of people don't kill because they suck at setups, man. I mean, yeah. yeah. They put themselves in a position for a bull to hang up or they put themselves in a position where they're not going to have an open shooting lane or they decide to um, set themselves up behind stuff. That's the, one of the biggest things that I see, you know, biggest mistake is, yeah, they don't, number one, they don't pay attention to the wind. And I always forget that, man, because to me, that should be like ingrained in an elk hunter, right? Yeah. But, for sure. but that yeah. whole thing about, you know, um, wanting to set up behind stuff or, you know, putting yourself in a bad position or staying way off when you've got a lot of open areas. You know, we've, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. guys, like this, this last season, the aggressiveness on that, right? And for us here, because it's so thick, I will literally, my calling point, I'll walk ahead 20, 30 yards where I'm going to end up. And then I'll check it out, make sure I got nice, good shooting lanes. Then I'll back up that 20, 30 yards, do my calling. And then as soon as I'm done calling, I sneak up to that shooting location and bang, that bull's going to come in. Like say, if he hangs up in that doorway or whatever, you're already to where he should be already anyway. So you're going to have a lot better opportunity. Obviously, obviously the thicker the country is going to be the easier stuff to set up on, right? Right. You pop into a hole. And you can only see 20 yards or 10 yards. Yeah. And you know, like, okay, he's probably coming right through here or, or he has to, then that's your setup. That's a great setup. Yeah. But like where the guys were in New Mexico last year, they didn't understand, like, they thought they were setting up and they were setting up, but was it correct? Probably not. They still had some ground to even move or cover yeah. or their setup was so much open country that their caller was right on the heels of the shooter and the the elk could see where they were calling from. So your setup is going to be very, it's going to really the terrain and the the vegetation is going to dictate what and when you set up. Um, You know, you just have to be, and I think guys set up so early sometimes and they're sitting there pleading and begging for this bull to come rather than cutting the distance and really getting in to where they have an opportunity to actually make a great setup. Instead, they're worried about bumping the elk. And and when really, if, if the vegetation dictates it, you guys, I'm running, I'm checking the wind and then I'm running and then I'm checking the wind and I'm running. And if it, if it, once it gets to a spot to where I can tell it's going to open up, then maybe same thing like what Travis said. I'm like, oh, this is too open. I need to back back up into this cover and make this setup proper so that yeah. I'm not sitting here in the open making cow calls or sounds and the elk's going to come out a hundred yards out of my range. And I just screwed yeah. myself when yeah. I passed up my setup. 
right? You have to be able to identify that where where you're hunting and really also how the how the elk's responding to you. So yeah, so Cole, Cole, would you when we talk about too open, right? And I think I think we have a tendency to we rely on our Joe and I have this conversation about about bugles, right? But we have a tendency to rely on what our eyes see. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the elk are, they're way better at it. I mean, you know, they're way better. <laughs> right. Not, and not just that. I mean, you can, you can literally bugle at a bull or cow call to him and he'd be four or 500 yards away and you never say another sound. He will come up within a five yard radius of where you made that sound. That's how yeah. good they are at hearing and pinpointing your location. So keep that in mind every time that you that you make a setup also. Um Yeah, you know, and if you got a boundary, if you got a boundary too, Cole, like you're talking about an opening or uh a boundary, they're ninety percent of the time you gotta get on the other side of that boundary, right? No. To get them to come to you. I mean, RC and I had a scenario last year and I told him. I said, this is going to be the death of us not getting across this boundary, but I'm going to try to pull him across anyway. And I was calling and calling. We saw the three bulls on the other side, and sure enough, I called them all the way to the edge of the boundary, and they're like, okay, where the hell's the herd at, right? What I needed to do was us use our feet more, go across the boundary, set up on the other side when they didn't see us in the thick stuff, instead of calling them to the edge of the boundary and then they're looking down for us, right? It was wrong. And I knew it was wrong, but I kind of, the wind was kind of jinky. So we didn't want to just blow them out of there running up in there either. So what we probably should have done is got down and went around and came up to the top of them and got on top. And, and I know that now we, we made, I made the decision to try and call them across that because I do believe in my calling. I tried to, I tried to make them believe there was a hot cow over there and they, they thought there was, but when they come over there to the top, they were all looking like, man, this is not right. There's no cows. I'm not seeing anything. And they just turned and walked away, you know? So the setup if was crucial for us. Yeah. If they don't see her, they ain't coming. <laughs> exactly. if, it, if it's to the point to where they, they and can't see her the- yet, then. Yeah, then they're going to keep pursuing, right? Um, I think, um, so I think it was Paul Medell that said this one time and it really, it really made a lot of sense to me about setting up, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, he said to somebody, I can't remember where it was, but he was like, I don't use any decoys or any of that because by the time I see the elk, he's right there where I need to shoot him, and I won't set up if it's anywhere near where he can see where a cow needs to be, Or right? So Makes he's sense. talking about people like, you know, holding up a decoy, and it made a lot of sense to me because I'm like, well, yeah, by the time he sees what's making the noise, it's me, and I should be shooting him, right? Yeah. Um, it, it just yeah. made a lot of sense with, with setting up. Right. I mean, because by the time I don't care, I don't care about seeing the bull. I really don't, I don't care what he looks like. As long as when he steps through him. my opening at 20 yards or whatever, it's time to kill him and he's legal. Boom. It's getting, he's getting it. You That's can my setup. Like I don't want. Yeah. Yeah. You can yeah. do the same thing with terrain because, you know, Paul hunts, 
that that Idaho thick country, right? And, and yeah. I love to hunt the thick stuff. But you Me take too. those guys in New Mexico last year, you know, they're in burns or in <sighs> areas where they're real open underneath the pines where you got elk that can see for 150 yards through that stuff. So that changes that situation. But people got to realize is it might change that, but those hills have terrain in them. And you're actually able to use that terrain as well um, as using – uh, the vegetation. So take advantage of that. Now, Cole, um, what we saw too as well was there was a lot of paralysis from analysis, man. Um, to quote uh, Dan Staten, I hear him say that all the time. But, you know, we had guys that, you know, had elk going off and it was like, Nothing was happening. The decision-making process, there were times where they should have just, I mean, we were yelling at, go, go, you know, go after those guys. And, and, and that's one of the things that we see as kind of a failure point with guys is, is making a decision. And, uh, uh, did you see some of that as well? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. At some point you just, you know, if you don't know, I think, Really, and this is just me because I'm super aggressive. But just go, like just literally, just go. If the wind is okay, then just you know act like a ninja and go, and and then try to make it happen. At least, um, you know there were uh, there were opportunities missed a lot, uh, and you know there's you can you see it all the time if you watch videos and stuff i'm sure guys are watching it you can see where all the bull did this or bull did that no i really think that you you just drug your feet a little bit and didn't want to ruin that opportunity rather than getting in there because i mean you're going to screw it up anyway right there's there's always going to be screw ups if you know that's coming just don't be afraid if the wind is good and you have the terrain you need to be moving. Um, yeah, make something happen uh, rather than just sit there and let everything fizzle away and then you try to bring it back. It's it's not likely going to happen um, unless you're just in a super unpressured area. Um, yeah, no, I, I, and that's why it's almost like I coach athletes. When I coach basketball players, you know, uh, when you're when in doubt on offense, go to the hole. When yeah, man, out, go to the rack. Go to the yeah. hole, man. You know, because you yeah. have a better chance of scoring than you do out there throwing the ball away, right? Exactly. So, um, Can't and score now that if we doesn't, don't shoot. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, mean the only, you go, go in like a bull in a yeah. closet, right? You can be smart yeah. about it, right? And the yeah. only time that dictates me not going is when the wind is bad or the elk can see me calling or me moving or whatever it might be. Right. That's Those are my two determining factors right there of why I'm going to sit there and, and not make something happen. Um, yeah, it's, it doesn't just, you know, a lot, you might get lucky, but for the most part, those elk are not, it's not as easy as a lot of things, uh, seem, you know, when you get out there, you're like, dang, I was doing this and I was doing that. But sometimes you weren't, you were, you were really dragging your feet and when you should have been going, well, there, there's a lot of times that, that guys are satisfied or they feel like, um, they've been successful by having a bugle fest back and forth with a bull. I mean, the bull's off mm. 250 yards, right? And you call, he screams. You call, he screams. 
we and and nobody makes an advance. This bull's over here telling you to stay away, and you're staying away. And it just goes on for five, ten. I mean, it can even go, you know, even go a little bit longer sometimes. And guys go back to camp. And they're like, I had this bull going, man, but he just didn't come in. Well. That's because he wasn't going to. You needed to make a move. You needed to make a decision. If you're doing something after so much time and that bull's staying in the same place and he's not making yeah. a move or he's even starting to go off, that's got to tell you something right there, man. You don't yeah. be satisfied with a bugle fest. That's like being satisfied with seeing a, a, an elk through your binos and saying, well, you know, that was a good hunt because I saw one through my binos or I heard one bugle. No, you've located something. Now you got to create the encounter. You have yeah, to get in that bubble. You have yes. to create the encounter or you're not going to kill anything. And then at that point, now it's like Gil said, you got to know how to close the deal. So just locating an animal is cool. We know that they're there. Now go find them, get on them, create the encounter, right? And then, you know, put yourself in a good setup, in a good position. You know, all of these things are step by step, but you have to. And when Cole says aggressive, guys, that doesn't mean he scream and bugles that thing. That doesn't mean aggressive. It just means he's aggressive in his moves and trying to get in on that animal, trying to create an opportunity. Because if you don't create opportunities, you don't make kills. Now, you can wait around for it to happen, and that happens all the time, but that's when... You know, that's not going to be consistent success right there. That's once in a blue moon, yeah. right? It can happen. Yeah. Cold dude, man. Good stuff, bud. Um, okay. And what I'm going to do now is, um, and we're not going to be too long on this. We're going to get into this just a little bit, Trav, um, before we close out here tonight. And we're going to, we're going to probably start up with it again because I tell you what, anytime you talk about calling, you know, people want to listen up and, uh, um, and, and I, and I get it. That's why we, it's because we love to call elk, man. I mean, there is not a single person here right now. In yeah. The group does not love, I mean, you know, I, I was listening to uh, a guy today with Jermaine, man, and it's, you know, he just loves to call elk, right? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. what he lives for yeah. out yeah. there. So in talking and in, in with some of the guys, some of the holes that you're seeing, the biggest problems that, and and I've seen it, man. Just about every group that I've gone to, it's almost the similar problems all the time. What are you seeing, boss? Uh, basically, I'm seeing uh, kind of like they're learning to call, but they're not sure what sounds they should actually be making. And then the sounds they are making, they want to jump from step one to like step ten. So they want to go from a cow call to yeah. bugling. Uh, Gnarly you know, bugle. Lip, yeah, lip calls right away. Right? Yeah. It's like, I get that they all want to bugle, and that's awesome. But you got to, you, first off, you got to learn a calf. You got to have a really decent cow mew. And then I feel all you need is like a location bugle. And you can turn the location bugle into an advertising bugle just by shortening it up and throwing the growl on the end. So... I think I'm just a, baby, take you a step baby back steps. Even, I'm going to take you a, a, a step back even further, bro. Yeah. Because what I'm seeing is that some <clears> of these guys, yeah, that we're, they're wanting to do, you know, like even doing a cow call. I find yeah. that a lot of people that think they're making a good cow call are struggling because they have some bad habits. What are some of the bad habits that you've seen with some, with some of the guys you've had? For me, what I've seen, it's all control related, you know, so they're just not, 
they're getting that you have to have the ew sound to it, but you know, they're just, I don't know if they haven't trained their tongue enough so they can put the proper pressure on it and then the air pressure. So like, like a decent Calmy, you just want to, You know, just nice and simple, but it has to flow really nice. And it should end with that, yeah, yeah, on the end of it. And and then from there, they struggle to go to the calf sound, you know, because they don't realize their their calf sounds are really long, it seems. And you want to just, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just be real easy on the read and be gentle with it and just... Let it let the read do the work. So that word gentle see, and the read doing the work. Yeah, seeing guys struggle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, that's because they can't get read. the pressure right, Joe. Like he's talking about. Dude, yeah. they are like trying to squeeze it through, man. I mean, real. Yeah, so friggin' yeah. high pitch. Way too like much. Yeah, way too much. Ramming that tongue up there, and the the yeah, other, I would. I would almost tell a new guy like, don't even put your tongue on it yet. Just yeah. put it in your mouth and blow some air. Right. Once you got air blowing, blowing, exactly. then you can start moving your tongue up close to it. Don't start yeah. off smashing that thing to the roof of your mouth to worry the roof of your mouth bleeding from the dome. <laughs> yeah. Slow, exactly. slow, slow down. Yeah. Slow down. That's a great point. There's guys that are yeah. going, man, I've cut the top of the roof of my mouth with this dome. Really? Oh You're my gosh. gosh. You are. Yeah, man, I, don't, I barely even oh, feel yeah. it in my mouth yeah. most of the time. Yeah. 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 And it, it does. It does just come from experience a little. <laughs> yeah. That thing's coming through. Is... <laughs> yeah, man. And it, and it's funny, but, and, and I, we're not making fun. It's just, I want you guys to understand. No. That's, a, that's a common thing that, that people really yeah. try to, they put so much pressure on their tongue and with their air that they create this way high pitched sound that yeah is, yeah not what they just need to relax and i think it's been tongue placement where i've seen issues like a lot of guys trying yeah. to use just the tip of their tongue um instead of you know like we tell them to say wish wish yeah. and, and you can and actually say the word you can feel the placement of that flat part of your tongue yeah on, on there and and then the other thing that i see a lot of Travis, and i don't know if you're seeing it too man is guys trying to control calls and tones by using lips and facial instead of yeah. instead of relaxing that pressure yeah. uh you know the tongue off of the diaphragm so they start doing that yeah kitty kitty kitty, kitty. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Joe, so Joe and Travis, so I, I, and I, and Joe, you brought it up a couple times. I'm not plugging the podcast, Western Contours. Um, but you know, talking to Jermaine, I asked Jermaine the Man, same question the a day ago. <laughs> um, there, there is a point in, in this preseason stuff where you have to just be honest and say, I'm not there. This is all I have. And understanding that just shutting up is it's okay in the Oakwood. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's absolutely okay just to just to be quiet. There's there's absolute killers that yeah. go out in the Oakwoods and they use very little to no sound. 
Yeah, yeah. you know, I heard you guys <laughs> say that, and I'm almost like sometimes, like, especially if you're in getting a moment or something like that, don't pitch your worst pitch at something, right? Yeah. But, but also, I still feel <laughs> like even out there, if you that if you're going to work the right thing, if you're going to practice the wrong way the whole time, then – yeah, it's not going to help anything. But if you're going to work at your game to make it better, like if you're going to listen to people that say, you know, don't clench your teeth when you're trying to call, you know, start that call. And, and yeah. here's the thing is that let's say that this is the roof of your mouth or the or the latex. A cow call and a, and a bugle are yin and yang. So a cow call is going to start with the tongue a little bit higher and then just drop down. The tongue drops off. That relieves that back pressure, and you get the other tone. Whereas the bugle starts down here, and it comes up. So it's just doing just the opposite thing. And mm-hmm. that's where I want guys to understand is, is just relax a little bit and just do that wish to get your placement. And then after you start a little bit of a high pitch, just drop your jaw. Just drop it and feel what that's like. I mean, uh, and to just get that. And that's going to help you with every call you do, right? Yeah. So. Um, and and with that, Joe, you can play your volume as well. Yeah. Because all these yeah. guys, that you have to know how to, especially on your account calf stuff, you have to know how to call really quiet. And then yes. you have to be able to amp it up, you know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What he's doing though, putting them lips you know, together is big. Pressing that yeah. air through your pursed lips. That's how you get quiet. Yeah. yeah. And also I'm 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 either blowing more air or I'm yeah. holding back the air. You know, you're yeah. you're just blowing lightly, you're blowing hard. And then your lips yeah. are working in conjunction with that. That's so right. a lot of that the watching Travis do it, right, and it kind of stood out to me is is control of your diaphragm. Right. This is absolutely a, is an involuntary muscle. Right, that that most of us um, aren't used to yeah. using in in this manner, right? And and right. if we raise our voice, we're we're affecting it um, and don't even realize it. So that yeah. involuntary action, man, that that's harder in my head than learning the tongue pressure and and using the tongue pressure um, correctly. Well, even yeah, even for lots of hours behind the struggling. Call like that you know travis um we have what we call the siren drill show them the yeah. siren drill oh, man, I love that. learn them a little bit of pressure so yeah. the siren you just start with your tongue just barely on the latex and then you start raising it up and then you raise it back down so take a big breath in perfect that work good there yeah. yeah, yeah, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, Loud okay, and, and you can even do it a little faster. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So know? with that siren, that's what I teach the guys. Now you start shortening that up, you get your cow. So. <laughs> now and then in that same thing, with the siren, take it to the top. And chop it off and just use your voice. You go, now you got a bugle. Right. Now you got a cow mew, you got a bugle. You can take those two calls and literally go right to the bush and call elk in. Absolutely. That's awesome, bro. And 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 that's a that's a great thing for tonight for everybody there. I think 
You guys have got a ton of information. Introduced you to World the success squad. champion elk caller, Mr. <laughs> Travis O'Shea in the house. And, spending I mean, some knowledge. There, you guys have uh, listened to so many people with so much passion. And, and I love these dudes. They're somebody to ride the river with. All these guys are great. We've got, uh, we still have Gilbert and RC, um, uh, on deck. And, uh, and actually I'm hoping by the next time we do this, we're going to have Luis and, and Chav in the hole, man. So we'll have them there and we can keep going. And, and, uh, what's nice about this is as we get through it, you know, you get to hear the opinions of so many people, um, in different ways. I mean, it, it's, this is so, this is so awesome because, I mean, you've got Guy that's doing things. You've got Travis up in Canada. you got Cole that's came out of Texas into the mountains of Colorado to cut his teeth in, uh, in there. You know, Gilbert, who started over there and has got 13 years of coming to New Mexico, has his feet wet, you know, up there. RC has been running, um, he, you know, wildlife management for years on ranches and has done hunts, more hunts than I can imagine, man. Gave me my first job when I was just a little young son of a buck, man. So, um, you know, you've got a lot of experience and a lot of different things to be able to listen to with this. And, and we're hoping to bring you some more next time on this. But, Gil, I, I think we're going to call it a night tonight. We've got to have us a part due on this. Part due. Can't wait, Joe. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. You got to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review us, and you can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And just a reminder, if any of our listeners would like their questions answered on the show, just send your questions to info at elkbros.com. And like we say down here in the Lone Star State, husbands, hug your wives, wives, hug your husbands, Kiss your babies, keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry, and we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk. Hey, success, success squad. I'm so proud of you guys, man. Peace, peace. Thank you, brother. Absolutely. See ya. Peace. Awesome, fellas. Good and stuff. For those grinders out there, next up, some music from our brother, Tony Wintrip. Peace, peace. Take a good look at me, I'll be gone for a while in the backcountry Where peace of mind is destiny I hit the trail with the pack on my back Mountain house meals in a baby sack I'm gone for a while, baby, take a good look at me
can see the mountaintop with the highest peak and no backdrop. It's a long way up from here and a long way down.